This is Working to Beat. It is Tuesday, September 22nd, 2020. I'm Kevin Cooney. Thanks for joining us as we begin a new week. Lots of talk up ahead. We'll talk some Phillies in the second half of the show, but our first half is going to be talking about the Eagles and everything going on with your 0-2 football team before they get ready to play the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow this week. Ed Kratz, who works for Sports Illustrated Eagles Maven website, will join us. Ed was a partner of mine at the Bucks County Courier Times for about 20 years. We'll discuss everything involving the birds. Uh, some interesting comments on Tuesday from Jim Schwartz, basically taking blame for what happened on Tuesday with the defense and not making the right adjustments. So um, interesting to hear what's going on with this team and, and the dynamics at play, and especially because it's now almost become a a referendum on Carson Wentz. And uh, Mike and I will talk about that, I'm sure, as well as we move forward and, and where they go. I mean, the schedule doesn't get better after this week. You may have you may have the Bengals this week, but you still got to go to San Francisco to play the Niners, even with all their injuries. And, you know, no Mostert, no uh, Bosa for the rest of the year, no Garoppolo, but still not exactly an easy trip especially with the travel restrictions now and then you end up with the ravens and the steelers uh and down the road you get the packers you get the seahawks and you get the cardinals and that's before you even talk about your two games with the cowboys so this could get ugly early and so it's critical for them to turn around this week and that's why we'll have ed kratz on to talk about what he thinks is the organization's path ahead and then again uh Mike and I will talk as we're recording this. The Phillies are in game one of their doubleheader against the uh, Washington baseball team. Uh, and uh, it is um, it's not good right now. The Phillies are, uh, Phillies are honestly playing like a team that wants to go home. Uh, that game on Monday night was so sloppy. And uh, they have Aaron Nolan on the mound now in game one of the doubleheader. As we record this, it's one nothing in the second, so... You know, but there's a lot of hurdles. There's a lot of hurdles, and you know, you need to get you need to get three out of four in Washington just to give yourself some buffer room and to kind of guarantee going in the Tampa this weekend. Who is going to have to play for home? Who is playing for home field? Or who's playing for the number one overall seed? That may matter. It may not. They may be trying to set their rotation up, but the Rays are really good either way. They have a deep farm system, and they won't be objecting to showing that off as well. So we're back on Friday. I don't know what time on Friday. A lot of it could be depending. Uh, I'm scheduled to uh, have some jury duty um, this week. So might be a late night Friday for our picks and everything, and we'll see where the Phillies and the uh, where the Phillies are, to be honest, about what our guest schedule is going to be because if the Phillies are – Involved in something big, you know, heading into the final weekend, we may go that way. Yeah, there's also the talk of the Sixers, and and Mike D'Antoni's name is thrown out. I'm going to be interested to hear Mike's uh, reaction. I think that would be the absolute wrong thing for this organization. But then again, this organization has a tendency to do the wrong thing. So, lot on tap. Lots to talk about here on a busy Tuesday. But we'll get it started with Ed Kratz from Eagle Maven and Sports Illustrated.
at 0-2, panic has set in in a lot of quarters, and especially in this one, about this football team uh, with a dawning schedule up ahead beyond this week against the Bengals. And joining us now to discuss all of it from Sports Illustrated's Eagles Maven website, it's Ed Kratz, my former colleague at the Bucks County Courier Times. Ed, how are you? Hey, man, doing great. And, doing Mr. Good. and Mr. Kern? Every, everybody is a former Bucks County something <laughs> or other. And, and you know what? Like they, they, it's like daily news people. And, we're, we're like all over the place. And the yeah. thing is, they add about former, they add more former Courier alums about every three months right now. So let's see what happens. So yeah. um, they're, having, they're having bad draft picks, too. Well, they've had a lot of dra- bad draft picks. Um, all right, Ed, uh, at 0-2, are you surprised they're 0-2? And is it more disturbing because of the way they're 0-2? It's not like they lost two close games. They got really manhandled in the second half against Washington. I know they closed in. They were tight at one point in that game against the Rams, but it felt like they were outclassed. I'm surprised. Yeah, to answer your question, I'm definitely surprised. I mean, in the offseason, how much uh, did we talk about Peterson having an advantage because he was the coach that was still in the division while Washington was breaking in a new coach, Dallas, New York, they're all new head coaches. <laughs> and we all thought that that would be a big advantage for Philadelphia. And it turns out now Doug's telling us that two and a half to three weeks isn't enough time to get ready. But I mean, look, you, you, every team is going through this. Um, you know, they should have beat Washington. No doubt. The only way they could have lost that game was how they did it. They gave it to them. Carson Wentz made two terrible uh, interception throws um, because Washington was not driving the length of the field against the Eagles. I mean, they had three short touchdown drives, 48 yards, 45 yards, and 20 yards. I mean, yeah, the defense could have made a stop, maybe had, held them to a field goal or two, but, you know, th- those are short fields. And that's the only way Washington could win. Now, the Rams game, different story. They fell behind early, and they had to play catch-up, and um, it looked like maybe they were ready to catch up and then Carson throws that terrible pick in the end zone to JJ turning point in the game. If you ask me, otherwise they take the lead and then we see what the Rams do as a response. But um, yeah, I thought they'd be two and zero. I thought this three game stretch, actually, I thought they'd be three and zero. They'll be lucky to come out of it at one and two. Mike, you know, the funny thing is though, guys, when we sit here and, and, and like, we say this all the, like we're the ones that set the expectations. Look, I, I thought, they would at least beat the Bengals and the Redskins. I figured the Rams. Washington knows. football team. Well, yeah. You asked you, me to correct you. Yeah. It'll, be, it'll be 2025 and you'll be San Diego. Well, then they'll, have, then they'll have a new name, so that's okay. Exactly. Or San Diego and Chargers. Chargers. <laughs> um, but we sit here all the time. Like last year, well, they're not going to lose Detroit. They lost to Detroit. They're not going to lose the Falcons. They lost. Then they beat Green Bay. And and I think even this year more than that, and I'm not excusing it. I don't. I don't mean it that way. But we're the ones that say how good this team is going to be or how good this quarterback's going to be. And then when they don't live up to our expectations or ESPN's expectations or whomever, then we're all over. And look, this team should be criticized because they have not played well. But if they score that touchdown and go ahead, you know, maybe they do what the Reds I, I don't know what would happen. Maybe they still would have lost the game. But what did we think this team was going to be? Kev, you and I have had this conversation. I mean, you had him at eight, I think. I had him at nine. Um, so we, we we weren't thinking Super Bowl. Uh, it's just that maybe it might be a little longer season than we thought. And I still think they're going to beat a team or two that we don't think they're going to beat and probably get to around that 500 level, which won't be good enough. 
Trust me, they could be sitting here and be one and five, you know, after six games. But what if they're sitting there and they're three and three? Well, and, and that's a question. Nope. I mean, Ed, I mean, why I think that, I mean, look, they've they've rallied in the past from, they've rallied in the past from, from years where, it looked, you know, they were five and seven a couple years ago. I think they were five and seven last year again. Uh, again. Right. And they were able to pull their ass out of it, for lack of a better term. This is going to be a, term. Yeah, this is going to be a tougher climb though, because I'm not sure they're as talented one, and I think their schedule is a hell of a lot harder than it's been in previous years. Would you agree? Well, yeah, and the schedule thing, you know, it changes week to week. Look at the 49ers now. The Eagles right. go to San Fran in two weeks. Who, who's going to be playing quarterback? It's not going to be Garoppolo. Nick Bosa's out. Solomon. Don't Thomas they think? Is out. Ed, don't they think he might play now? I read somewhere where they they're not sure Garoppolo's injury is as bad as they thought. No, I, that could be true. But Bose is probably going. But to no Mostert, no no, no Tevin, uh, no Tevin Coleman. Yeah, I mean, right. look, that's a more winnable game. But you still got Green Bay, right? But but who, you know what will Green Bay look like in six weeks or whenever they play that game? What will Seattle look like? Seattle's a tough test, obviously. New Orleans, New Orleans is stumbling out of the gate. They play them late. Arizona, are they for real? They're two and zero again. That's another late game. So last year they made that run when they played the NFC East. Now the NFC East is not good for sure, but playing and winning four division games in a row is not easy because those teams are so familiar with one another. They got it done, but the tail end of this season isn't loaded with the NFC East. It's loaded with the Saints, uh, the Cowboys, or, yeah, the Cowboys are part of that, the Seahawks. Um, I mean, it's it's a tough tough climb uh, at the end of this season, so they hey, can't they count beat, on going five and seven and then winning four games in a row to get to the they beat the Bengals this week, which is no given, but wow. If they beat the Bengals and the Cowboys lose to Seattle, they'll be tied for first. <laughs> unless unless the Washington football team beats whoever they're playing this week. I don't, yeah, I don't even know who the, the – They have Minnesota, I think. Anyway, um, Ed, obviously the main topic always is the quarterback, and I want to play a quote. You heard it yesterday uh, from Doug Peterson. When asked by Zach Berman of The Athletic about Carson Wentz and the word regression – and why has he regressed? And I want to get your opinion on this, Ed. You know, it's a good question. Um, you know, for us, it's a matter of continuing to work, continuing, you know, uh, I think I think as coaches and players, we continue to strive to get better every single day. You know, I, I just don't want Carson to feel like he has to make all the plays every single time. I just want him to, to just be Carson, you know, and, and, and you guys know him. You've been around him. You've heard him, you know, his – his demeanor is he want he wants to do everything right, and, and we've given him control to do that, and and um, you know, but we just got to continue to work to get better, and I don't think anybody can totally master you know uh, the sport. You're constantly learning and, and getting better, and and that's what that's what we got to do, and continue to to coach that. All right, Ed, is there a disconnect right now between the head coach and the quarterback? Well, first of all, the best part of that answer was the big sigh at the beginning yes. and the, the, you know, the three-second <laughs> pause before we jump into the answer. But uh, that's the best part. But is there this kind of – you know, that press conference or that video conference, whatever you want to call it, from Monday got even weirder when he started talking about, uh, you know, communication and are we communicating correctly. Um, that was the next other. question, I believe, correct? Uh, I think it might have been a little later. Right. I, don't, I don't remember, but there was there like was one about questions. Foles and his, his communication, and it seems like the communication between him and Wentz wasn't good. I think Tim McManus asked. Yeah, that could be. But it, to me, that was kind of a strange answer, and that he doesn't want the relationship to become, you know, resentful. Like he almost wants to treat Carson 
with these kids' gloves. And, we, you know, Bill Belichick, when he handled Tom Brady, he did it behind closed doors. But that was not a good relationship in a lot of ways between those two, you know, the coach and the player. Um, now you see Bruce Arians calling Tom Brady out in public down in Tampa. So I, I, that's the way you got to handle these, these prima donna quarterbacks. And, and, you know, Wentz, he's an alpha personality. And if you're afraid to, you know, rankle any feathers or do whatever, upset him, um, you're not going to have any success getting through to him. Uh, that was one of the reasons he, I think, was so successful in 2017, Wentz, because he had Frank Reich and uh, DeFilippo uh, telling him, this is what you need to do. And Carson bristled at some of the things he was told to do, uh, but he did it. I don't think he's getting that from Doug. I don't think Doug's telling him, this is the way you're going to do it. This is the play you're going to run, and this is how we're going to do it. And he's not. it's not getting through to him. And I think it's maybe Doug's too nice. Uh, maybe he wants to be too buddy-buddy. But I think there is right now a disconnect between what – Doug has to do to get through to Carson. Mike? So much for the advantage of having the coach and the quarterback be go. Uh, they had some stat on ESPN this morning where the, the quarterbacks who've had the most misses of plays that were open. I, I'm, I'm phrasing it wrong, but Carson Wentz was the leader with 20. Yeah. The second-place guy, or next to last guy, I guess not the second-place guy, Trubisky with like 17 and Haskins with like 16. Yeah. That's not the company you want to be in. And we've always known that Carson wasn't maybe the most accurate guy, tends to throw that high ball. We all knew that. But is there a reason why he's been so inaccurate? I don't remember him being this inaccurate, or am I just forgetting? Uh, I think if you look at some of the, the, the footage of some of his games, these first two games, mechanically he looks – you know, his footwork does not look right. He's, his, You're right, yeah. His feet are not pointed yeah. in the direction he's throwing the ball. It almost looks like he's pointing off to the right when he's trying to hit a, a receiver over to the left, and he's throwing across his body, right. which, you know, to me looks like a mess. And you wonder um, – But did you see that? Did you see that in past years? Did you see some of that? No. Not okay. That I, not that I can okay. remember. I mean, it, not as, as obvious uh, mm-hmm. as what we're seeing now. I mean, to me it just looks way off, and – you know, you wonder if, you know, they brought these coaches in from outside, you know, Scangarello and even Marty Morningweg, who's back but has never worked with Carson before. And, you know, you wonder if maybe they try to tinker with his mechanics or, or what the deal is. I mean, the Eagles will tell you it's not mechanics. But when you look at the tape, it's mechanics. He's yeah. not getting his footwork in the proper position. Well, and, and it was funny because I think it was AJ um, – or who was it today? It might have been Orlowski on ESPN – who talked about how wide on the on the interception to Arkea Whiteside? Yeah, how he was, wide yeah. his stance was. Right, trying to throw and thread the needle, but he got almost. It was so wide he almost had no, nothing on the throw that his timing was off. And I think that's what you're talking about, Ed. That it, that his the lower body portion is what's really screwed up right now. Not the arm strength, but the lower body portion, right? And he's not throwing as hard. And you know that's a good point uh, because. On those two interceptions he threw in Washington, uh, they I called them lazy, careless throws, but that could be it because they didn't have that zip on them. And, right. You know, he needed to throw them more on the outside. He threw them on the inside. And, you know, you can say what you want about Rager and Hightower making a play, but those guys are rookies. This is a five-year veteran quarterback who needs to make a better throw. And to me, when I looked at those throws a couple times after the game, to me they looked, you know – lazy and just careless and maybe that's the problem maybe he isn't getting that zip on the ball because there's something wrong with the lower body is go ahead go ahead no kev go ahead uh there was also a stat on the athletic today that mentioned about uh how they've run 12 personnel which is one running back two tight ends 
68% of the time, I think. And it's like 30% more to anybody else in the league. Are they too predictable right now out of their offensive sets? Well, yeah, I mean, probably. And and you know what? That that brings up a topic of Zach Ertz and the contract thing. I don't think – I think the Eagles want to get away from the 12-player – you know, this 12-personnel stuff because it's just too slow. You know, you have two you know, tight ends who aren't speed demons. Tight ends aren't speed demons. Now you draft all this speed with Rager, Hightower, Quez Watkins, who we haven't seen – um, you bring in Marquise Goodwin, who opted out with the COVID. But uh, I think the Eagles want to get away from the 12 personnel, and that's why I'm not sure they're going to bring Ertz back, and they're just going to play with the one tight end in 2021 with Dallas Goddard because you're right. Not only are they predictable, but they're too slow. I mean, they want this offense to be high-powered. They want to come at you with speed, and playing two tight ends uh, at the same time doesn't give you that option. Mike. Yeah, and, on, and this is kind of a two-pronged thing, but on that – interception that changed the game kind of against the Rams. To me, he threw the that pass, he threw that ball with a little zip, but it was just a stupid pass. Mm-hmm. Like, if that's the play call and you're throwing into double coverage basically with Whiteside, you you got to throw that ball like out of the end zone or not. You, you know, or it's and, and high me, enough where only RKO Whiteside could get it or it's beyond. Or well, it's RKO Whiteside ain't getting it. Well, you know what I mean. Saying. I know what you mean. But and it seems to me like and, and I'm looking at the play. He was, I mean, Wentz had nobody around him when he threw the ball. Do you think he's a little more reluctant to run the ball now? Yeah. We're seeing so many quarterbacks around the league who are using their legs. When he came into the league, he used his legs. And we all said, hey, that's great. He makes things happen. I don't see him looking to do that much. And I'm not saying that's a bad or a good thing. But has he changed in that regard? He's not really that mobile kind of guy that we thought he was. Looked like he had ro- it looked like he had room to run too if he chose yeah. to do that. Um, and it was first down. So you know right. I mean, yeah, pick up a few yards. Um no, I don't think he's using his legs as much. And I just think that's by design because the guy's hurt. He hears about it all the time about right. the injuries. Right. I mean, you know, he doesn't want to get hurt. I mean, and that's you know, so you really can't blame him. But that was a part of his game when he came out of North Dakota State was his mobility and his ability to pick up you know, that's what Frank Reich talked about in 2017. They wanted him to pick up at least one first down every single game with his legs. Wow, okay. Yeah, and, and he's not doing that now, obviously. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you talk about that throw, Mike, and, man, there, there was just so much wrong with it. Like, the timing even. Like, he could have gotten rid of that ball. It looked like if he would have gotten rid of it a half a second, a half a second sooner, then maybe that – that cornerback isn't able to undercut it. Maybe it goes. Maybe it goes past Ortega Whiteside because he's right. not fast. Or because the safety, the safety was coming over, right? Right, the right. The safety. You're right. He was coming from the other side. Right. Um, so if you throw it a half a second, second sooner, then the safety's not there. The cornerback's not undercutting it. The only way, the only person is going to catch it is Ortega Whiteside. Right. Uh, or it's not going to get caught, and that's okay because it was first down. Right. And and the other part is, yeah, at at the very worst, if you throw it a second soon, uh, half a second sooner, it's deflector incomplete. You live the play yeah. again. But to me, even if that was third down, you got to get three points there. Exactly. You know, you can't if you even if you got to throw an incompletion there and bring right. your field goal kicker on at least, you know, get something. I mean, they had to come away with points on that drive. They had to. Um, Absolutely, what? and they had, and seven points, like you said, Mike. It, might have been a different game. You know, they go yeah, they take the lead. The Rams are on the road. Maybe they think, well, you know what? We had this big lead, and all of a sudden it's gone. And then you see, right. you know, what happened to the Eagles in Washington. Now they're right. doing it to L.A., but uh, it didn't happen. Do you think the Jalen Hurts thing is playing at all in Wentz's mind? That's part one. And two, 
we all said that they we thought they drafted Hurts to be a gimmicky guy, maybe a backup quarterback that you groom in case Wentz gets hurt and all that. They couldn't actually think about changing something here, could they? There's no. the cap number is obscene. It's I think what thirty three million if they got rid of Wentz at after this year or next year. Well, to trade him, I yeah. don't think you'd have any dead money. Um, then that contract would be inherited by whatever team would acquire him. But uh, hello, Oakland. <laughs> yeah, Derek Carter. Yeah, <laughs> they beat the, the Saints last night. Yeah. Um, but to answer the first part of your question, if if Carson Wentz is you know psyched out by uh, you know a rookie, twenty two year old kid then he's not mentally tough enough to be your quarterback. I mean, you just can't. I know what happened with Foles and, you know, how that kind of really, I think, really affected him seeing Nick come in and uh, take this team to the Super Bowl championship. And Carson talked about that, that it's easy to be, uh, you know, a little jealous about that. But Nick was Nick was an NFL quarterback right. who had a degree of success yep. a few years earlier. Yep, yep. So this guy's we, we don't know what this guy is. No, and that's the thing is if you're if you're worried about Jalen Hurts taking your job, if you're looking over your shoulder, then man, you know, get get out of there because that's not the right mindset to have. So uh, I don't think that's happening. If it is, shame on Carson for feeling that way. Um, and then uh, part two of your question, I, I I don't I mean I think that would be a really really drastic move um, were they to go with Jalen Hurts. But if you're sitting here now at three and eight or whatever, four and seven, whatever your record is, you know, once Thanksgiving's on the horizon, um, then then maybe, maybe you say, look, let's see what Jalen can do. But I, I just don't think that's the way the Eagles will operate. They'll ride with Carson as long as he's healthy. And, you know, maybe you'll see Jalen come in and, and have a little package uh, designed to get him the ball, however that is. And I think we'll probably see that. But I don't think he's going to take over. For but Carson. isn't that the danger when you draft the back of a quarterback in the second round that you kind of invite the wolf into the hen house a little bit here? Well, if you're if you're a strong wolf, then you shouldn't have to worry about it. You know what I mean? Or no, whatever. N- well, you know what I'm saying. I mean, I, I know, I get it. I, I, and in this town, especially, and Mike's, I know Mike hates when I say, "Well, you, you almost create a, a controversy where there is none when you do something that early." Correct. We're two games into a season, I, and we're and we're having we're having. You're, you're proving my point. I understand. And I'm not saying it's your. I'm not saying it's your but, fault. But that's the fault of the organization for making a move like they but, did for when they had other holes. That's my own opinion. Go well, ahead. Go ahead, Ed. Okay, maybe, maybe that part's right. Yeah. Okay. All right, Ed. Go ahead. Go ahead, Ed. <laughs> well, <laughs> I I don't. I thought that I, you know. Look, they wanted some insurance, some cheap insurance for the next few years, a controllable quarterback because I think it was an insurance policy for when Carson gets hurt. They saw when they ran out 40-year-old Josh McCown what happened. He ripped the hamstring right off his bone, but they had to keep playing him because right. they had nobody, you know, nobody else. So I think that was kind of their reasoning. I don't, I don't think they thought about inviting controversy because I don't think they thought Wentz would begin the season this way. Um, but, you know, maybe there's something to that. I, I just think that if you're Carson – you're this alpha, uh, you know, alpha personality. If you're bothered by Jalen Hurts, then that's not good. You're not going to win games. You're not going to win your first playoff game if you're looking over your shoulder at a 22-year-old Heisman Trophy runner-up to take your spot. I mean, that, that's bad. That's yeah. bad on Carson if that's the case. Yeah, Mike. Yeah, it's it's just, and I I totally understand what Kevin's saying because Craig, they were talking about it on. ESPN. I'm just thinking, man, it's like two games in, but this is the world we live in. Um, 
you know, and, and you know, uh, at the end of last season, we were all singing his praises. Oh, look what he did. He willed that, that horrible team, horrible offense, no weapons to win four games against horrible teams. We all had him beat in Seattle. Right, everybody. Oh, and then they're going to go to Green Bay, and they can win in Green Bay because I, re- I remember the scenario. Everybody had him in the NFC Championship game, um, and now they're zero and two, and you know, so now he's a bum. And and I guess if they're one and five, he really will be a bum. But it, what other than getting a win, what has to happen this week against the Bengals, who who actually haven't looked horrible, you know, mm-hmm. with their with their number one draft pick? What what do you want to see this week? You know, other than them walking off, you know, feeling a little bit better about themselves. Well, you know, we all talk about Carson, and I'd like to see Carson play better, certainly. The whole Eagles fan base would like to see Carson play better. Um, And just one thing on Carson, too. You wonder about that groin injury that he had late in the summer, uh, late in training camp. It wouldn't surprise me if now we hear, oh, well, he's got this groin issue, and that's kind of what's hurting him. Apart from Carson playing better Sunday, I'd like to see the defense. I mean, you know, we talk about the quarterback and for rightful reasons, but that defense, man, dreadful against the Rams. Just horrible. You give up 190 yards rushing on the ground. That's embarrassing. You know, they couldn't stop. How many times did they bite on the play action and rolled Goff out wide yeah. open side of the field, a receiver running wide open in space, and he gets in the ball? I mean, it's just a terrible performance. So I need to see the defense play better. Uh, you know, Schwartz went on today and talked about, uh, you know, his fault, this and that. But, you know, personnel-wise, I think they need to make some changes. I'd like to see them make changes Sunday. I'd like to see Kayvon Wallace be that third safety. I'd like to see Sean Bradley come in and actually play a competent linebacker position, cover a tight end. You can't have a tight end scoring three touchdowns. So, you know, I think to make me happy and Eagles fans happy, you got to see the defense play better. Well, you have Ed, to be able to stop the run and you have to shut Joe Burrow down. Ed mentioned uh, Jim Schwartz, and this is from his press conference this morning. Take responsibility for what happened. Well, what happened on the field was, uh, was I had a poor game plan. Um, and we, we had a very simple game plan. You guys know that the Rams use a lot of tempos out of their huddle and, a lot of different motions and things like that. And the whole sort of theme was to try to make it as simple as we could. And we've had success with that in the past. But um, in an effort to do that, I also created a lot of conflict um, with what the guys were were doing. And um, it gave them a lot of stuff to look at. And what I thought would make it easier didn't make it easier. It made it harder. All right, so that's Jim Schwartz from the day. I mean, is it the same thing, though, Ed, that they're trying to juggle personnel groups that may not necessarily fit um, in the right places at this point, or is it just that they don't have good uh, good enough talent? Well, that that is certainly an excuse I've never heard before, that things were too easy you had to make them more complex usually it's the other way around our game plan was too complex and we need to dumb it down and make it easier I mean that that was a new one for me hearing that oh my gosh it was too easy we need to make it harder I I don't know how much sense that makes um but you know when you hear Doug talk about you know not having enough time to get your team ready only two and a half weeks I mean these excuses to me are just they don't wash um so you have to look at personnel groupings you know you look at like I mentioned you know Nate Gary is not I mean, this guy was a safety in college at Nebraska. I mean, now he's your starting linebacker. Um, 
he missed his tackles. He was undisciplined. The whole defense was undisciplined. Uh, Jalen Mills is still in game two of his switch to safety experiment. I don't think it's going that well. I think the communication issue uh, is starting to show a little bit, especially with the linebacker core. Um, guys aren't in the right positions pre-snap, and now the Rams do challenge you uh, with their pre-snap motion and all the eyewash they give you with their motions and their movements. Um, so that was a big test. And this with Mills still working his way through this communication part of things, um, I mean, it was him that gave up that 40-yard run after the Eagles cut it to three. I'm sorry, after they kicked the field goal uh, to make it 24-19, to I mean, that 40-yard run went right past Mills. Um, you could say that maybe the personnel grouping, maybe he shouldn't be a safety, or maybe you hope that he gets better uh, as the season goes on. It's a work in progress uh, with Mills at safety. That, to me, is an issue. And then you look at their defensive line. I mean, you know, Fletcher Cox, uh, you know, he made some tackles, but they're not getting that pressure up the middle that I thought we would see. Javon Hargrave, now, you know, he missed a month. He didn't practice first Only game. played 25 snaps, though, the other day, right? Yeah, and he did nothing. Uh, no tackles, no pressure, and that, that to me, is an issue. Now, you, you say, oh, the quarterback gets rid of the ball fast, and Goff rolled out a lot, but you need to have that pressure up the middle. You need to come up with a, a competent pass rush uh, with those three guys, Malik Jackson, Hargrave, and Cox. Um, so it, they're still figuring that out, but I think they're just, you know – uh, Secondary-wise, I'm still not real sold on Devontae Maddox at a cornerback spot. Um, Marcus Epps, to me, should not be your third safety. Why not go with the rookie, Kayvon Wallace? He can play that. Will Parks mm-hmm. was going to be the guy, but he's hurt. Um, he'll help when he comes back, I would hope. Um, but, yeah, there's some personnel things you can do here to make this group better, in my opinion. Mike? And their defensive line is the highest-paid defensive line in the league, I believe. They invest a lot of resources. Yeah. Hey, hey, explain to me, as somebody who out, why is there not more of an emphasis in Schwartz's way of doing things on linebackers? Because it, it seems to people that just look at it, you go, man, their linebackers aren't that good. But then in, in the next breath, they say, well, Jim, does, Jim doesn't care, like if they're not that good. Well, last week showed that maybe you should care sometimes. Yeah, he, he doesn't play a lot of traditional base defense. He plays more – he likes to play with a nickel uh, package with the extra cornerback, uh, and he likes to play a lot of dime. And the reason that he probably didn't like linebackers was because he had Malcolm Jenkins who could play linebacker in a pinch. You know, he could come down and play on the line uh, and, and be effective in that role. He doesn't have Malcolm now, so, you know, maybe he needs to rethink his scheme a little bit. Uh, and you do have to have a competent linebacker. I, I've never really understood the, the emphasis of the linebacker position. I still think you need to have somebody that can get off of blocks and make tackles. Um, big, rangy type guys. And you need somebody to cover. Uh, you know, I mean, Camus Gruger-Hill uh, was a role player on this team in recent years. But he was pretty decent at covering tight ends. You know, mm-hmm. he was an athletic linebacker. Nate Gary is not athletic. TJ Edwards is borderline athletic. Your athletic linebackers are sitting on the bench with Davion Taylor, who's as raw as can be, and he's not ready. But Sean Bradley played four years at Temple or three years at Temple. He, to me, he's the most ready linebacker you have who's athletic. Get him on the field. Um, but I just think Malcolm Jenkins covered up a lot of that let's not play with any linebacker uh, premium as far as Schwartz was concerned. Well, and, and Ed, you mentioned Grugier Hill. People forget Grugier Hill did a great job in the NFC Championship game against the Vikings on, I think it was, it was on Kyle Rudolph. Uh I mean, able to really take the, the tight end out of the game for, for Minnesota at that point. I mean, that got overlooked because of the 
everything with the with the Robinson interception and how much you know Lawn. Of course, Lawn had a great game and Barnett actually had a great game, which brings me to Derek Barnett and it brings me to what I think their main problem is. They're just not good enough at drafting at this point, and I believe that what you're seeing now is the bad drafts have come back to haunt them. You, you know, I, we were talking beforehand. You think this draft class could be okay, but the bad draft classes that they've had really in the last three years, with the exception of Miles Sanders, they haven't gotten a hell of a lot, you know? You miss on a draft, and that impacts you down the line, and that 2017 miss, now we're seeing here in 2020, three years later, and that's usually how long it takes to grade a draft is, you know, three years. Everybody likes to hand out grades right after the draft happens. But, you know, that draft class is a big fat F. I mean, they got Derek Barnett, who can't stay healthy, um, who I like a lot. I think he can play, but he can't stay healthy. As Chip Kelly always used to say, the best ability is availability, and Derek Barnett has not been available. And then Nate Gary came in that class. But all, all the other ones have washed out. And I asked Howie about that. Um, after the dra- I think it was after the draft was over and we had him on a Zoom call. I said, why did these guys wash out so quick? What do you do? And, and he said, well, I mean, they look at that. What else can you do? You self-evaluate. You see some of the mistakes you made, and you move on. But, yeah, it's catching up to them. I mean, look at the uh, running back situation. You know, you, Donnell Pumphrey was supposed to be in year three by now, not even on the team. Right. Um, you know, Elijah Qualls is a defensive tackle. You'd like to have some depth there. He's not on the team. Uh, Shelton Gibson. Mac Hollins, the two receivers that came in 17, gone. I mean, Hollins is in Miami, but he's not doing anything in Miami Even the, Even the guys who are here, you know, Barnett, we mentioned, you know, there's issues. Uh, RKO Whiteside, if you want to look at, at at last year's draft, there's some serious questions about him. Avante Maddox is another one I think there's some serious questions about. They have, even the people who are still here, there's a lot of questions Plus, about well, the one year. Didn't they take Jones and then took the well, other? That was that was the 17 draft. Yeah, that 17. Okay, I wasn't sure. Yeah, yeah. that worked Jones out well. And Rasul Douglas. And Rasul Douglas, by the way, is like the 10th ranked quarterback by Pro Football Focus right uh, now. Now with the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, and I always like Douglas. I mean, yeah, he's limited speed wise, but I thought he was an aggressive corner who could play, you know, up on the line, but. Um, for some reason, he never got into Jim Schwartz's good graces, and Sidney Jones is parked on the practice squad in Jacksonville. Um, so, you know, they didn't get any help. These are guys who are supposed to be your corners, so now they had to trade for Slay, um, give up a, a third-round pick, I think it was, yeah. a valuable pick, uh, and now they're pushing Avante Maddox, who I think is probably a better safety, like maybe in a McLeod high safety look. Um, I think he would be better served in that role than a cornerback. He's short. Um, but, yeah, you, to get back to the draft, I mean – um, you know, 2018, they had Goddard getting great. You know, he's going to be your starter going forward for the next five right. years. Uh, Maddox, who's a starting cornerback, Josh Sweat, who looks real good, looks like he could um, be a real factor in his third season. Matt Pryor, who is probably going to start this weekend uh, at left guard. Well, don't 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 count on that because, you know, how, uh, Doug changes his mind left and right, apparently, after week one. I know it could be Jermon Brown who's got some experience, but um, I don't know how you switch up the line when they played a lot better against the Rams than they did in Washington. Yeah, then you have Jordan Milata who came in and um, I thought sorry. he played well in his 18 snaps that he played in Washington, but you know, very raw, never played an NFL game before. But he's huge. That's his biggest asset. He's six eight, three fifty. I mean, to get around him or to bull rush him, you got to be pretty good. Yeah, so he, I mean, he's almost taking a Moby Dick quality at this point. Like you know, everybody <laughs> keeps bringing Jordan Mulata up, and nobody actually sees him. Yeah, you know, on the field. 
only saw him 18 snaps in Washington, and he, he didn't get – he didn't look bad to me. I mean, I watched – rewatched some of the snaps, and he, he looked okay. He looked competent. Mike? <laughs> Moby Dick. The Loch Ness Monster. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it's like – He looks like Bigfoot. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, I, I, I'm just – I don't know. I, it, like to me, I think, and, and it, you know, I've talked about this a ton with Mike. So I'm, I'm, I think their arrogance in the way that they've handled some of this stuff is catching up with them. That's just me. I and think what happens when you win a, when you have a ring, it changes everything. If yeah. 2017 had not happened, if they'd lost to the Falcons, the Falcons had scored. You, you, they Doug won't be allowed to be the Doug he sometimes is. Howie wouldn't be. That's what happens, Kevin. When you when you win something, you know. Look at the Falcons. They should have won a Super Bowl, didn't, and now Dan Quinn's going to get fired. But 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 look at. They, but I'll use the example. Look at the Ravens. Look at the Steelers. Look at the Patriots. Look at all these other teams. Well, the Ravens suffered for a long time. The Patriots are in a different world, right? You you can't put the Patriots okay. in with anybody. But, the, but, but the, I mean, the, the Ravens went through like five years there where they weren't good. The, st- the I mean, Steelers are usually in the hunt. I mean, my my point is that good organizations don't don't smell themselves as much as I think this organization did. Well, that's this is an organization that called itself the gold standard well, that's, 15 years ago before they'd won anything. And, and it had never won anything. It had never yeah. won anything until 2017. So, I mean. Right. Am I wrong in thinking that about their arrogance, Ed? Well, I mean. As far as and as far as the draft goes, I mean, I think the way they're handling personnel. Period. Yeah, I mean, like Mike said, though, I agree with that. Is you win something, then all of a sudden you have the right to be arrogant. And how things would be different now had they lost to the Falcons uh, in that first playoff game? Doug might not be here. Uh, Howie probably still would be. But I'm not sure Doug would be. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, the thing about Howie and his drafts is that it, it looks like he never really drafts to kind of help your team that year that you make the draft pick. I mean, he's always drafting guys that he's looking three years down the road uh, that can step in. You know, you look at, like, Andre Dillard last year. They didn't need a left tackle. No. They had Jason Peters. But they were hoping in 2020, or, you know, right now he would be their starting left tackle. You know, they drafted Dallas Goddard. They traded out of that 32nd overall pick after they won the Super Bowl. Uh, and got a tight end. They had Zach Ertz, who just had this huge Super Bowl, and now you're bringing in another tight end. But that was because, you know, two years, three years down the line, you hope you develop them and they're ready to step in. He never really seems to draft for the right here and the right now. And you look at this past draft, he takes a quarterback. You don't need a quarterback in the second round. And he takes a raw linebacker in Davion Taylor in the third round. And these guys are giving you uh, zero snaps. I know Hertz played three on Sunday, big deal. Uh, Bradley played eight special teams snaps. Um, Taylor rather played eight special team snaps. Third round pick. I think you need to get more out of these first, second, and third round picks. But that's just not the way how he does it. I mean, he looks at guys and says, "Well, how can he help us? You know, two years from now and three years from now, not right now." And that's a problem. All right. So to wrap this up, I want you to give me the best case scenario for this team moving forward, and I want you to give me the worst case scenario. Um, best case scenario, be- realistic, best and worst cases. How's that? You know, like they could go 14 and two, <laughs> yeah, no, they're not going 14 right? And two. 
But uh, the best case scenario is they find a way to win a game late over these next two games, whether it's in San Francisco or home against Cincinnati, and they capture a little momentum. I mean, we saw when Jake Elliott made that 63-yard field goal against the Giants as time expired in 2017. That kind of carried them uh, through a few weeks. I think if you can find a way, if this team can find a way to uh, win a game late, uh, make a big play late, a turnover, a pick six, something that can give them momentum over the next few weeks. And then you get on a little bit of a roll. And I had them at 10 wins to start the season. All right. I'm, 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 I'm tempted to come off of that, but I'm not ready to. But I think they can get there. But I think they need to find some way to grab some momentum here over the next two weeks and win a game, uh, maybe snatch a victory from defeat, something like that, something that really gets this team fired up. Uh, that's my best-case scenario. Worst-case scenario is – uh, Carson Wentz obviously continues to struggle. This defense continues to not figure it out. They lose to the Bengals. They're 0-3. And then we're going to see exactly what kind of uh, soul-searching they're going to do at 0-3 with the uh, 49ers, the Steelers, and the Ravens coming up. I mean, 0-3 could quickly become 0-6 or 1-5. Um, so that's the worst-case scenario if they lose to Cincinnati. Uh, on on Sunday, then I think. yeah, but the Cowboys will only be two and four, so they'll they'll still be in the race. <laughs> yeah, Jesus, <yeah>. God, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know. And listen, there, I guess there's something to be said for winning late games like they did last year, and maybe they would have gone on a little run had Carson stayed healthy against Seattle. Who knows? Um, but you can't count on that every year. You can't. You know, two years ago they had to have. I think it was the Vikings lose in Chicago. Right. Chicago had nothing to play for. Uh, and it happened. I mean, you, you can't, you know, you, you can't rely on those things happening every year, um, winning four games in a row. I mean, you just can't. You have to take care of business now in October uh, and then still hit your stride when November and December comes. Ed Kratz from Sports Illustrated's Eagles Maven website. Ed, thanks for joining us. I appreciate it, man, and be well and stay safe. Hey, pleasure, Ed, we're we're going to drive to Dayton next week. You in? <laughs> oh, are they playing in Cleveland? Let's drive to Cleveland. Let's go to the Browns game. That's the other. That's the other side. Okay. Well, I'll tell you what. We'll wait till the Bengals are playing a home game. We'll, we'll drive to Dayton. That's close enough to Cincinnati. Yeah. Well, we don't want to get caught in that Bengals traffic, though. No. <laughs> that's Ed Kratz from Eagles uh, Eagles Maven, and we'll be back on Working to Beat right after these messages. Our thanks once again to Ed Kratz for joining us here on Work of the Beat as uh, we try to figure out what the hell is going on with the football team. And, you know, Mike, it, they always drive the conversation. They are the team that at any time of the year you could talk about, and when they win and when they lose, everything gets magnified. And obviously, you know, after these first two weeks, they are magnified beyond belief. Well, first of all, as I tried to tell Rob Cherry about 10 years ago when he was trying to tell me that it was now a Phillies town, and I'm like, no, it's not. It's, it's a, when the Phillies are winning, sure, you're, you're going to talk Phillies. It's, it, there's no doubt. Uh, it, it's, the NFL rules the world. It just does. Mm-hmm. And the Eagles are part of the NFL. And we were always an Eagles town anyway. Right. So the Eagles are the number one story. Now, when the Sixers get really, you know, like they, they're doing something or the Flyers are doing, yeah, we'll jump on that Sixers, Flyers thing, Phillies thing. But no, the Eagles are all the time 
course, you got a draft. You got this. You, now it's mm-hmm. been different this year because of the COVID. But yeah, there's. A, but again, I I didn't see them. You know, I, I could have saw them losing to the Rams. Yeah. You know, but the the Washington the Washington game, yeah, that that. And this week is critical. And, and this the week way is, that they've been losing. Yeah. You know, your defense gets gashed, and look, they had played the Rams pretty good. Uh, you know. During the Doug era, and you know maybe McVeigh owed him one. I, I, I don't know, but I, when I'm watching that game, Kevin, I'm wondering why they can't do, meaning they, the Eagles, what the Rams do with Goff. Mm-hmm. I, you know, Goff is not a better quarterback than Carson Wentz. They're pretty even. They're they're pretty, you know, um, you know, but Goff was thrown to wide open guys, yeah, because there was no pressure on him because they were rolling him out a. You know, and 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 the Rams have better receivers. I mean, Cup's pretty good, and the tight end actually had, you know, obviously had a great day. But I mean, why can't the Eagles do stuff like that? I, I, I do, why they feel this need to keep him in the pocket all the time? I, I understand. Russell Wilson throws from the pocket. Rogers, throw, qu- quarterbacks throw from the pocket. I get it. Tom Brady's not rolling out, but to me, that was one of the advantages of having Wentz. Yeah. And I know you don't want to get them hurt. I, I I think guys have a greater chance of getting hurt in the pocket than when they're out of pocket. I agree. To be honest with you. But that's me. All right. You know? Let, let's break to the Phillies, who, as we're recording this, are playing game one in Washington, and it's not going well. Oh, and by the way, before we get to that, if the Eagles lose this week, it, it will – everybody – their season will be over. Right. I mean, literal. It might not be over, but it will be over. Hey, it's funny. You know? The Eagles and Philly seasons could end on the same day, in a way. Wow! Wow! Man. That's um, you know, but like you said, yeah. I mean, you look at San Francisco. I mean, that looked like a, an L, probably when you were kind of trying to figure out the season. But you know, I don't know. I, I don't know what San Francisco is going to have or who. Yeah. You know, All right. The Ravens sure look like a tough one. You know. You know well, you get, look yeah. You good. get the Steelers actually the week. The, the the in between okay. week. I've been saying this I, I wrong. Think, like, I, I like the Steelers. I think they're a good team. I'm not. not they could be. Uh, yeah, they're, they're probably the third or fourth team in the AFC behind two really good teams. But it, like, if you said to me the Eagles are going to beat the Steelers, I, I I wouldn't sit there. Oh my God, that can't happen. So if they can win this week, figure out a way. It, you know, it wouldn't be the stupidest thing in the world if they were three and three, or maybe two and four. And I don't know what that means if they're two and four, like where they would stand or what the Cowboys' schedule is compared to theirs or anything. But then again, you you know that if you beat the Cowboys twice at some point, you know that means you got a shot at winning the division. I guess. I don't yeah. know. Anyway, uh, as we said, Phillies are in the first game of a doubleheader as we're recording this. And, and, and Noel's Noel's not getting you dumb for you. Uh, down five one in the fifth as we're talking in game one. So and also a bullpen you game. Me you texted me the last time Noah pitched, and you your text, I believe, was your ace has to come up bigger than that. Is this a case where the ace the ace has to not, come up bigger I mean, than this? Yes. Well, well and, do you and, think and it's, it's just because it's at the end of the season? Not that I'm making. That I, I have no more. idea, and, and but this is a couple year trend. Yes, I, I that's think. why. I was and I ask am, I am alarmed by the way Aaron Noah finishes seasons, and especially alarmed because this is a. Short season, right? Like you shouldn't right. be this tired, or you shouldn't be this. You know, and today, 
you know, no outs in the fifth as we're, as I'm watching this. And it's, he's at 75 pitches, okay? He's got a man on. In a and seven isn't he pitching game. against a nobody? Like um, a guy who's like 0-4 or something? Or, uh, pretty I mean, much. Yeah, I think and I mean, he, he was probably a big overlay today. I'm guessing if you want to bet right. the Phillies today, you were laying and you got a, a bullpen, lot. And you got a bullpen game tonight. And yeah. you get Eflin tomorrow. Or, um, yeah. or is it Eflin tomorrow or is it Velasquez tomorrow? It might be Velasquez. Might be Vinny. But Vinny pitched well his last one. I don't know what that means. But, you know. but the idea is these are games. If you're in contention, you have to win these games. Right. And they continue. And they were lifeless last night in a Wheeler start. They're lifeless in game one here, at least in a Nola start, at least yeah. as we're recording this. Are they, are they, Kevin, are they lifeless? And I'm just going to throw this at you. I'm, this is totally out from left field. Are they lifeless because Harper's got a bad back all of a sudden? Real Muto's got the bad hip. He and is in the line. First baseman's out. Probably, I mean, is, is that part of it? It or could is that be. Oversimplifying it. It could be, but you're still in a playoff position. I know. I, Kevin, I, I, but, I, but don't worry you. about it because, as we're about to hear, the general manager was proud of his team. And the way they fought. Yeah, I mean, it's you know this, Bob. It's been a a very uneven season for a lot of reasons throughout baseball. Um, I am really proud of this team. Uh, the way that they have overcome um, not only the COVID issues early in the year, uh, but more recently, um, the way that guys have stepped up to overcome some of the injuries that we've had. Um, and put themselves in a position this week to control their own destiny. Uh, and so that's Matt Klintak. And obviously, you know, Matt, Matt's trying to put a positive spin on it, but if you're under 500, even if you make the playoffs as an eight seed in an expanded tournament, I don't know how how doesn't much. matter. Yeah. But he's saying, look, I know. Yeah, Kevin, I think sometimes you take fault with what they say because, A, you think they should be fired, which I'm not saying you're wrong. But he's saying what – I have no problem with what he's saying. I may not like what he's saying. This team was a 500 team from get-go. They were going to win 30 games or they were going to win 31 or they were going to win 29. That's who they were. So that's probably what they were going to be or would have been had these three guys not got hurt. So, I, I, you know, he, basically what he's saying is, hey, the first week or two of the season, we, we, you know, we, we didn't play because, the, you know, Marlins got sick. So I understand what he's saying. I don't have to agree with all of it. Well, um, I, I, think my, I think my issue is, you know, you make it sound like you're a $45 million payroll that the, these guys have scrapped it. You know, look at the Marlins. Look at what the Marlins have as far as and what the Marlins have overcome. Yeah, I know. And, and, and with a with a payroll know, that's much less, not a star dependent, and you know, come on, you know. But like, I understand. I understand what he's trying to say. Oh, I I, I not, get it too, and know, I think part of it's spin too to preserve. Well, of course it is. Wait, well, Kevin, when do you think people don't? When Doug Peterson talks, most of the time he's spinning something. When Joe Girardi talks, mm-hmm. as much as I like Joe. That's what people do. Yeah. Why do we think that all these guys, when Brett Brown gets up in front of a microphone, you know, he's going to try to spin it. They're not going to get up there and say, uh, like like Schwartz did today, you know, boy, we sucked. And you that know, was me. Yeah. Sometimes they do that. But, I mean, look, Klintak knows he's, there, there's a, you know, whatever. He knows the bullpen was a mess. 
and he's responsible for that and, and on and on and on. But I understand, and maybe he's just trying to pick the team up a little bit, you know, by saying, hey, you know, we're playing without our first baseman, we're playing without our catcher, our right fielder, you know, is, is you know, whatever. And, hey, you know, we're, we're you know, okay. I, you know, I, I think sometimes we take these things that people say way too seriously and dissect them way too seriously because we're, we need to, because we're, we're fans and we're sitting there and we, and we hang, like, on every word they say, and it's not. It, it's I, I, you, know, I, you know what, Mike, you're right in a way. But I also believe that how do I how do I say this? I also believe there are times when a, a, I think a general manager or a manager or somebody in a position of power within an organization has to kind of think before they talk. And I think sometimes you know, Corey Simon brought up the fact that that in since opening day 2018 they are literally a 500 team right now like they are they have been 500 over the course of basically two and a half seasons um and that's what they are right i, I have I, but why like why are we surprised at that i mean we knew under but, gabe nobody thought gabe was a good manager okay they did all these goof and they 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 went in september they went downhill gabe's two years was anybody surprised by that now they have a team that has no a historically bad bullpen, right? And it's five hundred. Are we surprised? I, I I don't get the surprise part. It's like so that they, so they've been thirty games over five hundred since the start of two eighteen. Then Gabe would still be your manager if that were the case. I mean, I, I don't. But but why Mike, do we but always not, think our but, teams uh, oh, oh, somehow should be better? Like I thought the Sixers team this year should have been better. Mm-hmm. They were not the sixth seed in the East. They shouldn't have been. Right. Okay, so I can say I think that team came up short. I don't think the last two years the Phillies came up short. I think they are. They were what they were. They weren't as good as the Braves. They weren't as good as the Nats last year, at least the second half of the year. And this year they're going to maybe be the eighth seed or the seventh seed or no seed. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and we'll come back next year and they'll be the same team. And yeah, because they're not going to fix all their bullpen. They're going to lose their shortstop. They may lose their catcher. The first baseman might not play till July. So what are we going to say next year? Yeah. We'll pick them to finish uh, second in the division behind the Braves. I don't know. Well, and this is where they're they're running into the real dilemma. I want to bring up another quote from that uh, press gathering, the press Zoom on Monday, and this is one Mike. Uh, I was asked about this morning on WIP. Uh, and said how we're all kind of taking a little bit of this comment out, out of out of context. This is about Matt Clintac on JT Real Muto to, from a question from our buddy Jim Salisbury. I want to play it in its entirety, okay? Not just the, a little bit of the, the clipping. I want to play the whole clip in its entirety. I'll make you. I'll let you determine. I think Mike and I may see a little differently on this, but here, here you go. I mean, look, I think what I've said all along is, you know, we would, we would love to have JT here, but when you make that, when you make that trade, um, you know, you're trading for two years of control and you know that. So, um, you know, Sixto looked really good against us. He's looked good this year. Um, but, you know, we've, we've had two very productive years of JT as well. Mm-hmm. Megan? And then that's the end of that quote. So um, I, the only thing that scares me is the past tense usage, I think, 
by Clintac at this point. Like it almost makes it sound like they know that he's gone. That's not, no, but that's not the point you made. No, today. the point I made was the point you made today was hold on, and I will say it. The point okay, I made today ahead. was you can't make that trade if you're only going to get two years out of Real Muto. You but can't. You're assuming anytime you make a trade like that, Kevin, when a big time guy is involved and he only has like a year left on his contract, like when the Astros went left, and got right. um, Verlander. The Verlander. Okay, I don't know what they gave up to get Verlander. I I don't remember the trade. But there is a risk that you're not going to sign Verlander. So, and now they're not going to have Verlander this year or probably most of next year, and then he won't be an Astro or he won't be in baseball anymore because he'll be 39 years old. When you make a trade like that, unless you sign that guy immediately, which is sometimes what they do in other sports, Mm -hmm. you'll make a trade, you'll automatically say, uh, JT, we want to give you a four-year extension. Sure. And JT either agrees to it or he doesn't agree to it. Once you don't do that, and, and he said it exactly right. We knew we would have JT for two years of control. That's the key phrase, of control. He's not saying we don't intend to sign. I'm sure when they made that trade, their intention was to sign him, provided JD didn't blow out a knee, JT didn't hit 220, okay? What he's shown you is he's still the best, one of the best catchers or the best catcher in baseball. So – but once you get to this point, I think you the way you're reading it is like, well, we made the trade and we had him for two years. They haven't lost him yet. But what happened is the landscape has changed. Now the Mets may be in on him. Now the Yankees. We, you never thought two years ago the Yankees would be looking for a catcher. They had Gary Sanchez. Well, so yeah, Houston if the Phillies and, erred in right. not signing him prior to this, that's a whole different conversation. And that's not just a Matt Clintock. That's a John Middleton thing. But I, I, he didn't mean there that we knew we were only getting two years out of JT, which is what you're kind of making it sound like. That's not what he said. No, but I think it also goes hand in hand with the decision. The decision to trade your best ca- uh, your best pitcher right, and a legitimate major league starting catcher. We forget about Alfaro on this, but Alfaro... Right will be yeah. better than whoever they will get a catcher if Real Muto is gone next year. Okay? Right. The decision sure. to do that means you better damn well be sure that you get him inked. And I get you don't do it maybe right away when you make the trade, but there was really no reason not to do it last offseason. But, but hold is on, that hold on, hold on, Mike. Fault? Mike. Well, I will say it's Matt Clintac's fault. Okay, fine. Did you, okay, okay, that's fine. And it's Matt Clintac's fault. And I think Matt Clintac, after everything happened with the pandemic mm-hmm. and whatever happened, Matt Clintac assumed there wouldn't be as much interest in JT Real Muto because there wouldn't be as many bidders because of revenues being down. And I think we're about to, and his comment of, well, you know, the market's changed. Even if you think that, you don't say it. And. It, it, it's kind of the tone deafness that they're operating with. And and I tie both that, that quote to the one I played earlier. It's they don't, they don't know how to operate in this market and the words that hold on, and the words that work in this market or even with their own players. But Kevin, when you talked this morning, you didn't bring up those other quotes. Well, no, well you, I also have a lot more time to, now. 
Go ahead. All you were commenting on was that quote that you just played. You didn't bring. So what I'm saying to you is, and you're saying when the pandemic hit, the pandemic hit in March. Right. Okay. So the mistake then was made before March because you're probably not going to sign the guy in March or April. I'm just guessing. I could be wrong because at that point, I'm guessing JT's camp has probably decided he's going to go and test the free agent waters. All I'm saying is when they made the trade, yes, I think you make the trade thinking, yes, we're going to, but what happens like the, the two scenarios I laid out for you. What if JT wasn't as good as he's been? Are you going to sign him for four more years? But because you traded Sixto, but, you but, traded Alfaro, or what if he blew his knee out? So there's always a, an element of risk involved in everything. Well, sure. And now I live, they could lose him. I, but, sure. I mean, in my mind, the 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 mistake is made in the off season when this wasn't the side in the off season, and when they got back from the pandemic, saying, "Well, the market changed." You don't That's say fine. that. You don't. That's fine. But what I'm trying to, I I think you're always trying to, all I'm saying to you is, Kevin, that if I'm JT Riamolto and I have not signed by March the 9th or whatever, regardless of what my general manager on my team I'm on now says, everybody in baseball knew that. That was the thinking of everybody, whether you said it out loud or you didn't. These people talk behind the scenes all the time. Right. And everybody's sitting there going, man, we might be losing $100 million this year. The free agent market probably ain't going to get as much money next year. Okay, fine. That's not like 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 some groundbreaking piece of news. Should he have said it out loud? Hey, probably not. But what I'm saying, it goes back to the original premise of when they made the trade. Should they have not made the trade? Should they have kept Sixto and Alfonso? Maybe they should have. You, you want to maybe, you, maybe you, you don't make the trade. You want to talk about what? a more alarming thing? And this was something that Ken Rosenthal brought up in an article yesterday. And Ken, by the way, talked about the fact that that Clintac is is in real real trouble here. Um, no no sugar. Yeah. Well, among the GMs in trouble. The Phillies and the Mariners were working on a deal that would have sent. Sixto Sanchez to Seattle, right? Uh, along with other pieces to get Gene Segura, and I believe the other part was Edwin Diaz, right? Okay, so uh, uh, you know, look, I, I'm 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 not a huge Gene Segura fan, um, but that could have been. Uh, but now, because you made the trade and sent Sanchez to Miami, you're going to get to see. Sanchez develop, and that, I think, is what's going to frustrate Phillies fans for years and years. If we go back through the last 15 or 20 years... Oh, their pitching prospects have been awful. You don't know that... Now, Sixto may turn out to be that guy. It sure looks like it. But what I'm saying is they've they've traded many prospects in the past who haven't traded prospects and who haven't held on to. Dominique Brown comes to mind. Kyle Drayback. You can't trade that guy. So all I'm saying is... Concentrate just on pitchers. Diaz goes to the Mets and sucks. Right. So, you know, like you, you can, in hindsight, we can say anything. All I'm saying is when the Phillies made the trade, mm-hmm. we were all on board with it. I think we, we were like, okay, we're getting this great catcher. We didn't want to give up the pitcher, but they insisted on the pitcher. And since we were getting a catcher, you could give up, you could give up Alfaro. Now, if they don't sign him, yeah, it's going to look bad. There, there's no two ways about it. 
but you can't judge it by now. He, all they were saying is they knew they had two years. Now, if they screwed up and not get it done, that's a whole different conversation. And I don't know what John Middleton is saying to Clentac or what Clentac is saying to Middleton. Does Middleton go to Clentac and say, what do you think, or does it work the other way? Does Clentac go to Middleton and say, how much do, should we pay this guy? And to be honest, this is part of the reason why, to be bluntly honest, you can't, you can't, um, yes, by the way, I am not required, uh, I am not required for Wednesday jury duty. Yes, but I am required there for Thursday. Um, I have to call them, I have to call for Thursday. Anyway. You were talking about Middleton Clentac. Yeah, I think um, when you look at it, and this is just my opinion. If the owner is this much involved, um, then you have a problem. Oh, I don't know if he is. No, no, no but I, but the fact that you I have to have that question just means you need another general manager. Because the owner's been so involved right now with the Arietta thing and the Harper thing. Yeah. And, and, and that means that basically... The general manager is kind of useless at this point, and 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 the manager obviously last year, which which Middleton overrode both his president and his general manager, tells me. Yeah, uh, yeah you're right. I, I, I look, mean, let me ask you a question. Uh-huh. If you were the Phillies right now, okay, as we as we're sitting here, would you say? Would you call up JT's uh, agent and say, listen? I think what he wanted was to break Maurer's record, right? Which was 24 or 25. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Would you say, we'll give you 26, Mm -hmm. but we're going to do it right now. We're going to, you know, four years. Yeah. uh, 26. If you were the Phillies, would you do that? Yes. Okay. If I'm JT, I don't take that because I want to see what this new owner from the Mets. With the Yankees and maybe Houston, I have no idea. I would take it, and I would honestly, if I'm Middleton or whoever is talking to him, I would give it a 72-hour deadline and say, if you're going to do it, if you're going to, if right. you're interested, here's the offer. It's everything you've wanted. It, we're right. not driving the you. price up. I hear you, but what I'm saying is, at at this point now, I am pretty sure that Riamulto wants. It's it's like we hear every athlete say this. They don't get the opportunity very often to say this. But when they do, I want to see what I'm worth. Well, I want to see what I'm worth on the open market because maybe that idiot Mets guy that just bought that team might give me 28. Now, the difference between 26 and 28 to me, it's not my money. And, and then, but but if you're the now, Phillies, but if you're the Phillies, you've also put it where it's on real mudo at this point. And, that's fine. And, 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 and what I mean by that is, ugly, but that, well, no. And fine. what I'm saying is. You could go to Real Mudo and go, look, you know what the landscape is here. You know you have a, right. a quality manager. You know you have a, your best friend is in right field. Yeah. We're, we're going to try to continue to build this thing. Yeah. You know, we, it hasn't worked out, but we think it will at some point. Yeah, I, you, I, Kevin, This I'm is the you, way you can sell it. The other thing is, I don't know Real Muto well enough. And neither do I. I, I will, but he doesn't strike me as the guy who... If you offered him something that is not insulting, would would like I think he also does enjoy a certain amount of comfort. You have to offer him something that his value is that it's representative of his value. It represents well, you give his, him more than Maurer made. Right. You, you it represents 
It represents what, his place in the game. Right. But I don't think he needs to get $35 million. You know what but I mean? I just think at this point, at the point we're at now, I think his agent would advise him. Oh, to go forward. Who, to go to the free agency, and he'll say, look, you can only sign with the Phillies. You know, if, if it turns out that way, you know, the Phillies aren't going anywhere. It ain't like they're going to take back the $26 million if you tell them, you know, two months from now that the Mets offer twenty seven, but you you know you'd rather sign with them for twenty six or whatever. But I don't know how he feels about New York or Texas, where apparently is close to where he was. He lives Oklahoma, in Oklahoma, right? right. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, if you're the Phillies and you're serious about all this, to me, you know, you, you got to do something like this. You got to just say, hey, here, here's the offer. You know, seventy two hours. You know. Tell us what you think, um, and who knows? And, and right now, and right now, Real Muto is making. Well, he was scheduled to make this year. It's going to be prorated, ten million. Um, right. His agent is Jeff Berry from CAA. Uh, this is not a Boris thing. So you could, you could, in theory, um, find a way of getting it to you know get, getting it done before. CAA traditionally, at least I've known this with uh, with Cole Hamill's case uh, and a couple other people, CAA tends to not always hold out to send their guy to the free agent market if they think a deal is representative of his talent. Um, okay. But, okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, it, it, there's no guarantee on anything, but at least I know with the Hamill's organization or with the Hamill's signing back in '15. They were willing to do. See, I'm just, just not sure the Phillies are willing to go that high. That's my take on it. Well, I could be totally well, wrong. Well, and, and there's and also, think, and what we talked about on Sunday, there's other issues at play. I mean, the Phillies are asking for buyouts uh, of their veterans yeah, within know, their I organization. Know, I, know. I know. Let me throw, know. Let me throw this scenario by you. And this is, I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing. And you know, we talked about the fact that Clintac may go. Okay. I would imagine if Clintac goes, McPhail goes. Well, I'm going to tell you something. If they get rid of Clentac and not McPhail, then shame on them. Because they're joined at the hip. Well, and the other part of this is, and yes, you owe Andy McPhail money for next year. You owe, would owe Matt Clentac for 2000, uh, through 2022. Okay? But do you really need a team president at this point? Like, I have no idea. I mean, so... I don't yeah, what do you, does the team president do? Well, that's a great question. That I would say the baseball op guy runs baseball ops, and you have one of your guys on the business side, a David Buck or something, or uh, you know, one of those guys run. It's, it seems to me in this case, and I'm not the expert, the McPhail being there making whatever he's making is like a retirement plan. It's just like I we're think giving that's a this fair guy point. money, so, he, so he, it's like his pension. I think that's a fair point. I mean, point. really, I don't know what McPhail does except he hired contact. Yeah, uh, you know, other than that, he sticks his head out of, out of the hole once or twice a year and says something, and, and then you don't see him again for six or seven or eight months. And and I, I don't know, I, I I do other teams operate this way or are they? I don't know. You tell me. Uh, you know, that's the problem. And like it was so defined for so long under David that David was the president basically on the business side he would occasionally come in on the on the baseball side when needed but he did give his gms some autonomy uh uh-huh. that i think everybody assumed and then pat came in to fill in and pat helped ruben out on the baseball side but totally ignored the business side 
Like right. Andy, I I've sensed more of Andy's involvement on the business side than it is the baseball side. That's if that's, the, if I, that's look, the case, that's totally as backwards. Well, <laughs> if look, I don't look. I, if you have a good general manager, and I don't know what constitutes a good general manager. I don't know. Was Ruben a good general manager? You know, was Gil? I mean, I would say Ruben for the most part. If was you a win a championship, then you, you you know, like Gilly can sit there and go, yeah, you know, I was part of that. I, um, but if you have a good general manager in place and, and he does a good job, then then McPhail's job becomes what I, you know, he, he doesn't really have to deal with the baseball much, I guess. He's mid sixties, um, by the way. So some people have been asking about his age. He's like sixty three, I think. Yeah, and I'm just it, it. But it seems like a lot of guys in sports get jobs like McPhail has. They get oh, jobs. Yeah. They get paid a lot of money, and you sit there and go, "What's he do?" Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not sure. Like, what's he do? Like, I know what Elton Brand does or what he's supposed to be doing. I know, you know, I know, know what Fletcher's supposed does to be Elton doing. Does Elton Brand know what he's doing? There's, there's always three guys in the front office with titles, and you're like, well, what do those guys do? Oh, right. they make a million dollars, or they make, you know, whatever. Okay, fine, whatever. And we're going to, by the way, we're laying people off next week. Yeah. Um, does Elton yeah. Brand know what he's doing at this point? What's that? Does Elton Brand know what he's doing at this point? Well, but you know what I'm saying. I know. He's uh, the general manager. He's, you know, he's president you know, of basketball operations. Howie yeah. knows what his role is. Um, I don't think Howie's answering to a McPhail. You know, I guess. I, I, I don't know. He, he answers to Lurie, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, if the Phillies don't sign the catcher, hey, we've, we've been saying this for six months, it won't be good, especially if Sixto five years from now is one of the best pitchers in the majors, which he might be. But that is the risk you take anytime you make a trade of that sort where you're giving up the prospects for the established guy who has little time left on his contract. And actually, in the Phillies case, two years was a lot because usually you get a guy that only has that the rest of that year, year. you know, or one year. Um, but if it's only one year, you're paying less of a price. Right. But, but I don't think that the quote from Clentac was saying we knew we were only going to have him two years, which is kind of the jump you're trying to make. All he was saying was we knew we had two years of control, which he did. Now it's up to them. Now the the, the question becomes, do you make it four years of control or five years of control or whatever the number comes out? And, you know, if they weren't having a DH come into the NL – with a 30-year-old catcher. Look, that would have been a lot more difficult. Be, he could still be really good three years from now. I'm yeah. not saying he can't. But, you know, catchers start to go downhill at some point yeah. because of the wear and tear. But if you can DH him half the time, you know, or a third of the time or whatever, you know, uh, I just think they have to sign him. I, I think they have to. And I, I'm, I'm More and more I'm beginning to think that they're not. Right. But I don't know JT. You know, Harper may go to JT, and I, I'm not saying Harper's going to take money out of JT's pocket because he wouldn't do that. But let's say the Phillies offer for the sake of argument, I'm just making up numbers here, Right, is 23, mm-hmm. whatever. And the Yankees or the Mets come in at 25 for the sake of argument. He may just say, you know what? I mean, didn't Harper kind of go through this in Washington? Like Washington threw an offer at him, and it was a pretty good offer. Yeah. I don't think it was quite as good as the Phillies offered. No, but, um, but remember, but it wasn't. But, they but, weren't but, that far apart. But right? Boris, like, but Boris was the agent, and Boris sure, always says sure. the best. Sure. Offer. Yeah, you're right. Um, 
the I mean, agent it's be interesting, and I don't agent know. Played, when does free agency start, Kevin? Like, oh, you know, who, like who knows? Well, yeah, technically mid-November. I, who knows what it's going to look like this year with, with yeah, everything. Right. Um, um, I mean, it's going to be, you know, because you're going to hear a lot of it's going to play out in the media. You know, you know how that it's, is. It's, um, and it, uh, it could get ugly. Yeah, I mean, it shouldn't get ugly because Rio Muto is going to get paid. Yeah. Somebody's going to pay him. So maybe not as much as he wants, but it's still going to be a pretty good chunk of change. And it's not even, I think, going to be between the Phillies and Real Muto. It could get ugly. If the Phillies don't sign Real Muto, it gets ugly with the organization and its own fan base. That's where it's going to get ugly. Oh, sure. No, and, and look, you know, look, let's go back way, way back machine, the Ferguson Jenkins trade. You know, in 67 or 66, the Phillies gave up to get two veteran pitchers. They gave up Fergie Jenkins. Bob Buell and and what was the other? Jackson, Larry Jackson. They gave up Adolfo Phillips and and Fergie Jenkins, who wins like 280 games, you know, for three different teams. Yeah, Mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, the Sandberg trade. You know, how'd that work out? You know. Sandberg and Boa for Ivan De Jesus. They they wouldn't have won that if it was Boa for De Jesus straight up. I know, but they were trying to win a division title, and I, I think they did, right? Yeah. Jesus played on the 83 team. Yeah. But nobody thinks the guy they trade, you know, is going to be all that. I mean, you know, Sixto has a chance to be all that. Um, but you got to live with it because, it, I mean, yeah. it's over now. You can't, you know, there's, there's nothing you can do about it. The weird part about the Phillies making that trade well, and again, you go back Dominic Brown. You know, yeah, we're not going to trade Dominic Brown for Willie Mays. Okay, well, you know, whatever. Um, but at the time, the Phillies weren't real good. You know, and you're wondering what they thought Rio Muto was going to do for them. Well, I think he felt but, they felt that they would get Harper and Real Muto, and yeah, th- that I would be you. enough. And it clearly wasn't because, you know, again, boys, this is kind of like the Eagles. Boys and girls, how you draft matters, and how you develop matters. Yeah, sure. And, sure. and I'm not I'm not knocking Bryce Harper because Bryce Harper is one of the best. Look, he's not you Mike can't, Trout. You can't okay, buy a title. You can't buy a title. You can't no, no. buy a title. What, what I'm saying is Harper never won anything with the Nats. Well, I wasn't now, all I'm not his saying fault. it was right. his fault, but he never won. Mike Trout doesn't even make the playoffs. Yeah. Okay. So when you go out and give the and and then he leaves the Nats and they win the whole thing. That's how baseball works sometimes. Uh, it, it's it's a, a weird dynamic. So they could have Harper and Riamolto going forward and still be not able to beat the Braves. Where you know? uh, where uh, do you see – all right, look, and look, they're wrapping up game one right now, and it's 5-1. Are, are they not winning? They're down 5-1, two outs in the top of the seventh. So. Oh, they still – okay. They well, still they, have, they, have one, they have one out left. Oh, it's, it's the seventh seven, inning because it's a double header. I'm sorry, Kevin. Um, I keep forgetting that. They make it? Do they make the playoffs? <sighs> See, I still, like... <sighs> Milwaukee has the Cardinals. I mean, Milwaukee has the yeah, Reds and the Cardinals this week, so that effectively cancels out that one spot. Right. I just thought that they'd be able to win Game over, games. by the way. And I thought the three games would be enough. Right now, if they lose this game, you know that's obviously one less game. They now you got to win. win three out of five. Um, if you put a gun to my head, and I was betting all your money, well, you wouldn't I, have a lot. But go ahead. 
I'll say they're in. I know they got a tough series this weekend, and 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 the in Tampa um, Rays are still trying to get the top seed, right? Or something. Yeah. They're, they're trying. Yeah. yeah. And the Rays. And the Rays. Rays two top pitchers though, or the Rays well, saving them for the. But playoffs. it doesn't matter because the Rays system is so deep that they could toss out the reserves and still beat you. Uh, oh, you mean they have a minor league system? It, it, uh, it's hard to believe. I know. What's that I called? Can't. I mean, I guess the way you're laying it out for me. Maybe it'll come up short and finish ninth. And and again, I think that would be disappointing. I don't think it would be the end of my world. Um, you know, because I don't would think that be the, the end of Matt Clintock? But I, I think for a team that hasn't been in the playoffs for nine years that had an eighty three percent chance of getting in like four days ago, um, yeah, you know, would, uh, would that be the uh, end of Matt Clintock? Hey, think about this, Mike. Think about if you come back next year. Without the catcher, okay, without the shortstop, mm-hmm. and your first baseman ain't playing until m- midway through the season. Yeah. That Problem. ain't good. No. And that's not even counting the bullpen or – And you can make a legitimate argument. Might have to you do. can make a legitimate argument they'll be, in la- they'll be projected to finish last next year. Uh, uh, the status quo. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's hard to argue. Marlins have kicked their ass, so you got to pick the Marlins over them. Well, the Marlins might be, you know, I mean, look, this was a weird year. You I know, get we it. Said that before Mike. the whole season. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Marlins right. could be. Yeah, I mean, the Mets always seem to disappoint. Um, so I have little faith in the Mets, but yeah, they, who knows? The uh, new guy comes he, in with money. Well, yeah, and you'll have Strasburg back for the Nationals with Scherzer and yeah. Corbin. Now, granted, they're getting older. Yeah. And they still have. I'm they, not sold on the Nats, but I I hear what you're saying. But they're getting old. Don't get more. Let me put it this way: next year, if they don't have Real Muto back, and you have to see, obviously. But if if status quo goes right now, there will be more votes in the preseason polls or in the preseason rankings for the Phillies to finish last than first. Well, yeah, but we don't know what else they're going to do. I mean, I right. agree with you. I'm, no, no. Not, as of right now. But, but, I mean, they're going to add parts or, or they're going to, you know, maybe whatever. But the thing that concerns me as much as the catcher is the first baseman because the first baseman was starting to hit. And as you pointed out way back when they started, the first baseman is a big key to this team because he's in the middle of the lineup. lineup. You need that power. And if you don't have Real Muto back next year, it's gonna, he's going to be even more critical. Right. But, I mean, Hoskins is a – should be a yeah. 30 home, home run guy. Mm-hmm. He should be. Now you put Bohm in the lineup, and you got the two of them in Harper, and, and you know now you got a middle of the lineup that can you know maybe do a little damage. Uh, he's getting Tommy John now. I don't know how Tommy John affects a batter. It, not as much. Not as much, but you you know how that goes, though, yeah, Kevin. You, you know, he comes know. back in June, and all of a sudden he, you know, he's not swinging the bat right, or you know, or whatever. Right. Um, fairly or not. The question is going to be asked. If they don't make the playoffs, there's no way Matt Clintax back, is there? I don't think so. But I'm not even sure if they make the playoffs and lose in that first round. I'm not even sure if that's enough. But like you said, they own money for two years. Um, you know, and in this economic climate, that may, maybe that's enough um, to keep him. Um, I just don't have that answer. Now, if they were to get in the playoffs and make a run, if they won a series, well, sure, which would be an upset, but you know, you know, whatever. Then I, I you know, I just think that what they've done drafting, 
and what their bullpen. Now, look, they took a shot on Robertson, you know, and it didn't work out. Like, the, right. you know, the, the, the one team took a shot on Andrew Miller. That didn't work. Relief pitchers, the Mets traded for Diaz, and he that didn't work out. Um, but the bullpen, man, is I mean, it is laughable. Yeah. It, I mean, it's not a bad bullpen. It's like, it, like every time they go to the bullpen, I just sit there and mm-hmm. I get sweats. You, you know, you can't play baseball like that. You you no. can't play baseball where you have a five three lead in the sixth and you're worried. Yeah. <laughs> By so the way, how do you how do you fix that, Kevin? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Yeah, otherwise, how many, moves, I, how many moves are they going to make in the offseason? In the, in the bullpen, a lot. But the problem Does any is, of these guys come back. Neris comes back. I'm assuming. Yeah, they, they. Neris Morgan will probably be back. Um. Ooh. Well, uh, Romero will be back. Okay. Uh. Ugh. Maybe like a, maybe Hembry. I don't know. Do you give Workman another shot, or is this the last? No, I, I would, I would, I would, I would cut cord at that point. Okay. Not pick up his option. Do you option. have to go out if you're the Phillies? Do you have to, amongst all the other things you have to do this winter? Mm-hmm. Do you have to go out and try to get a really good relief pitcher? And I'm assuming it would be a closer. Hey, Mike, I'll tell you what. Here's what they need: they need a center fielder. They're going to need a shortstop. They're going to need two starting pitchers at least. Maybe three. Uh, and, and one of them may have to be a top-of-the-rotation guy because I think that Aaron Noel is kind of showing that he may be better back a, a few steps. But they're, they're not going to do that. They're, they're not gonna no, they're not the going to do it. But, I mean, if you're looking at me, you know, you're going to – yeah. You're going to you may need a catcher, and you're going to need about four pieces in your bullpen. Other but than that, they're the great. Part, the saddest part of what you just said, this is nine years into a rebuild, and they still need all this. But the saddest part of that is, to me, is the center field thing. Because to me, and I know. I am so tired of Roman Quinn. I know a Duble screwed him up by being, but they should have never given him that contract. Never. That was, that was a mistake. And now you've got these two guys who came up through your minor leagues that were supposed to be good. I'm not saying great, but they were, and, and neither of them are. And that, to me, is just like. You got to have a guy that can play center field. You know, I'm not saying bat 260. You know, he's going to bat seventh in your lineup, but he's a serviceable, better than average or average or a little better than average player. And they don't even have that. Nope. And that, to me, is just um, it's almost like the Eagles with wide receivers. You know, when they draft this guy, oh, okay, and then two years later they draft this guy, and then two years later after that they draft, and it just you're like really. And um, and for the record, the. The Phillies payroll, as of now, for 2021, that counts towards the balance tax is 118 million. That and what is the cap? 200. The 210. Or the, 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 210. Gonna, now there's going to be guys who are going to get arbitration numbers. Right. There's. But what, but what is the um, luxury tax threshold? 210. Like, but it, will that come down because of the pandemic? No, it's listed as 210 is the amount, no matter what. Okay. Because okay. they can't change it for next year. That has to go another. Okay, I got you. I got you. So with all the guys who might win money or whatever, what would that take them up to? Maybe like 130, 135? Well, I can count for you off the books. Our Arietta at 25 million. 
Oh, no, no. You, but you said guys who might win, like, arbitrations or something or, or like, well, get more money. Well, Gregorius is... Gregorius is was eleven million on that this year. I'm sorry, fourteen million on that this year. Right. I would assume if he's back, he gets a raise. Okay. Uh, I'm looking at the arbitration numbers. Velasquez is arbitration eligible. Okay. Okay. Workman is technically a free agent. Okay. Uh, Alvarez is a free agent. Uh, Eflin. Could you, could you live next year? Hold hold on. They, I, I got I got more, Mike. Okay. If they didn't sign the shortstop. Mm-hmm. Could you live with Segura at short and Kingery at second? Uh, you would have to. But could you well, live with that? See, I, I think the pro I think one of the things I, I would consider doing with the National League if the National League gets the DH for next year is I would move Bohm the to first and establish Hoskins as my DH. And then you gotta get a third baseman, right? Unless you put well, Segura as Well, you would put Segura back a third for now. And if you and who's your shortstop? If the, if well, I, I will resign. Sign. I will resign Gregorius, but that's me. Okay, okay. And okay. I would have a short leash on Scott Kingery, by the way. So, but that's me. Yeah, uh, no, I uh, look. I'm not Vel, uh, Velasquez, Eflin, Morgan, uh, Hembry, uh, Knapp, Hoskins is in his second year of arbitration. Ranger Suarez and Sir Anthony are in their first year of arbitration. Yeah. And, the, and the free agents are Bruce Gregorius, Arietta, uh Brandon Workman, and Alvarez. So, so what you're telling me is they're not oh, going to and, be Oh, and Tommy to Hunter and Tommy Hunter and Blake Park. Win the NL East next year. No, Tommy Hunter and Blake Park are both free agents yeah. at the end of the year, too. Yeah, yeah, all the names you read off, most of the names you read off. I mean, it's just it's a remarkable that this team has this many names like that. It really is. It, it's it wasn't supposed to be like this in the second year of of uh, Harper. Nope. No. Yeah. And you're gonna owe Harper twenty seven five, Wheeler twenty two five, McCutcheon twenty. Who again were they bidding against for Andrew McCutcheon for fifty million dollars? Kevin. And no, I, I love Andrew. Time, That's the other part. They, That's the other part yeah. of this, by the way. McCutcheon may end up being your DH next year too, because they've hey, used look, Girardi's used I, them a ton. This year is a DH. Kevin, there are so it, it's it's one of those you know. I, I wish. Look, we're going to have eight months to talk about. Yeah, this I know. I, I wish I had more answers. Um, but it's just like sometimes when you look at the Eagles and you say, for a team that's supposed to be good, how can you have so many holes? holes. You know, and and it, the Phillies. That's how I look at the Phillies. I, I, I say, you know, for a team that's supposed to be, and I'm not saying. Right. They should be the NL favorite. They're not the Dodgers, you know. They're 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 not as good as the Braves, you know. There's probably a couple other teams, you know. I'm sure there's a couple other teams that are not as good, but they they we thought they'd be better than this. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I look. I thought they were like a 500 team this year. So, I, but I'm saying back when they signed Harper, right? I think we thought by this point they'd be better than this. Yep. Before we go, I want a quick answer. Okay, and by the way, I just got the second game line up here. Uh, Real Muda is going to DH. Uh, Roman Quinn's in center. Oh, Who's your starting pitcher? David Hale. There we go. Um, the Sixers are apparently bringing in Billy Donovan, Mike D'Antoni, and uh, Tyron Lue for a second interview this week. Um, yep. That makes sense. Do you like any of them? 
Um, I, I, oh, look, I don't know enough about – it won't be a quick answer. I mean, Tyron Lue, the knock on him is, you know, LeBron coached that team. Well, you know, no, Tyron Lue coached that team. He had LeBron. I'm I sure have LeBron no problem with Tyron Lue. But he's still – he was good enough that the Lakers were going to hire him, um, you know, and then they didn't, and they went in a different direction. Mike D'Antoni is not a bad coach. I just don't think he doesn't this fit here. Group he works with. That's just me. Yeah, I, I could be totally wrong. Of those three, I would either go with in, in order. I would probably go Donovan or Lou, one or one A, whatever one. And I'd probably put D'Antoni third, and not because I don't like him. I just think he wants to play a certain way. Come here, Chanel. Um, that's my point. I I, I like Billy Donovan. Uh, but I don't dislike Tyron Lue. No, I would go Lou or Donovan, but I, I'm not. Mike D'Antoni, hard pass. Hard pass. Whoever they choose, I don't care who it is. It could be me or you. It doesn't matter. All the X and O's and all those things, and those guys all know that stuff. You know, they D'Antoni's been coaching for 40 years. You've got to get through to the center and the point guard. Mm-hmm. About what they want out of life, you know. I, I I think Keith Pompey wrote something this week about like Embiid was a little myth that he didn't make third team All NBA or whatever. Yo, dude, here's the problem. Don't worry about making third team All NBA. You and Ben should be trying to be what LeBron and AD are in LA. Mm-hmm. You should be like like the center should be saying I'm going to finish in the top three in the MVP voting this year if I don't win it. He should want to be what Giannis is. And I just don't think it goes quite that far. No, I agree. With him. And and Ben has to figure out, look, I'm a third-team All-NBA player, and I haven't taken a shot over five feet in 15 years. What could I be? And he's never going to be a shooter. I know that. But, but what could I be if I just expanded my game a little bit and, you know, take it to another level, which I think he can. That's what the next coach has to do because they ain't winning crappiola. No. Unless those – now, you have to have all the pieces around it. You know, you got to figure out how to fit Tobias in and how to fit Horford or get rid of him or whatever you're going to do with him. Um, and that's a problem. But if you have two of the best players in the league, yep. not many teams can say that. Yep. And they do. So – and Billy coached two of the best players in the league, I guess, when he was at OKC yeah. for a while. For a while. And I guess D'Antoni at some point has probably done the same thing, right? Yep. Uh, um, and Tyrone Lue obviously has too. I mean, I don't know if Cleveland had another I, – I mean, they had other good players. I mean, they had Kevin Love. They had they had Kyrie. Yeah. Um, so that to me is the biggest thing going forward for the Sixers. Is how do you get those two guys yep. to go from being third-team NBA or I think, uh, I think Embiid was second-team NBA a year or so ago to being – Giannis, That's or, or something close to Giannis, or something close to AD, um, you know, and I and I don't know. Maybe that that never happens, Kevin. I, I no. Uh, I mean, if Giannis doesn't sign with Milwaukee, then the East is open again. Well, look, the Celtics well, no. are going to be good. I take that back. Gotta, Miami is still Miami. Miami becomes. and look, look, Toronto's. Well, I, I mean, I like the head coach at Toronto. I don't know. Um, I think Indiana's got a good little group too, but mm-hmm. I mean, the Celtics got Steven and they got players. Mm-hmm. Um, and Miami's got a coach and got players. 
So, yeah, you're going to have to contend with that. But if Giannis leaves Milwaukee, that takes them out of the yeah. equation. So, at the worst, you should be maybe the third best team in the East. Yeah. Somehow. But I thought they, at worst they were the second best team in the East this year. And all that got me was a sixth-place finish. Well, this has been an entertaining show, Michael. Um, I got to say, after uh, after uh, after everything we talked about, we, we covered the gamut today, Mike. There's only one thing I could tell you about the, the show. Ready? Um, phone I am really power. proud of this. You. What? No, my phone's running out of power. Okay. <laughs> I only got one thing to say to you. Ready? Can you, can you hear it? Yeah, I can hear you. Um, I am really proud of this team. <laughs> <laughs> See, when they're having a World Series parade a uh-huh. month from now, virtual parade, you're going to see. You're going to look back and say, "How could I say that? How could I? How could I say that?" Um, I am really proud of this team. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Play the two-year window one. Play the two-year control one. No, 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 no. no. Okay. I got. I got to, I will, I I to cut that out. Friend. I will talk to you later. All okay, right. babe. Our thanks to uh, to Mr. Kern. Our thanks to Ed Kratz for joining us uh, as a. Uh, there we go. There's the music. Want to make sure we can track. Uh, we thank Ed Kratz. We thank Mike. We thank you. This has been working to be. Well, you went uptown riding in your limousine with your fine Park Avenue clothes. Um, I am really proud of this. Team.